Welcome to Axios Today. It's Friday, February 5th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. We're no stranger to stories about misinformation or deliberate disinformation. We live in a world where now more than ever, you have to be skeptical. Is this news from a source I trust? Who paid for this survey? Is this number true? And that skepticism can be healthy, but it also can be used to cast more doubt and misinformation on data and statistics that are very real. Which is why today we're dedicating our entire episode to why people believe things that aren't true. Tim Harford is a senior columnist with the Financial Times. He's also author of The Data Detective, which is just out this week. Hi, Tim. Welcome to Axios Today. Thank you very much for having me. You write that we might be at a bit of a fork in the road or a moment when it comes to statistics, particularly when we think about the pandemic. Yeah, I think so, because we've seen a tremendous amount of misinformation, but we've also seen an incredible appreciation of just how life-saving accurate numbers can be. So all of the questions we want answering, like where is the virus? Who's got it? How's it spreading? Do the vaccines work? All of these life or death questions, you can't answer any of them without good data. And so I think people have started to appreciate that while there is a lot of polarization, there is a lot of misinformation, the numbers are actually not just about politics. But of course, our societal problems and the polarization aren't about the statistics themselves. They're about whether we believe them. For me, the moment that I really identified as significant was 1954, because two different things happened in 1954. One, there was a book published called How to Lie with Statistics. It was incredibly popular, sold loads of copies. The same year, two British epidemiologists found some of the first convincing evidence that smoking cigarettes dramatically increases your risk of lung cancer. In the same year, you've got this, to me, incredibly dramatic illustration of these different views of statistics. There's this one guy, Daryl Huff, who wrote How to Lie with Statistics, who's saying, yeah, it's like a stage magician's trick. You can never trust them. And then you've got these two epidemiologists who are saying, this is not a trick. This is life or death. And their discovery has helped to save hundreds of millions of lives. It's not a game at all. And how do you see that direct line from that moment to climate science deniers or to what we see now? Well, there's a well-documented link between the tobacco strategy and the climate change strategies. So a classic move that I see a lot is among people saying, uh, you don't need to worry about COVID. The reaction is really overblown. Now that we've got more than 400,000 Americans dead, and in my own country, more than 100,000 Brits dead, now that you know, those reassurances have been proved to be false, the defense mechanism is to say, oh, well, look, the scientists got a load of stuff wrong as well. What I think is interesting is you've got that same tactic being used, which is I've been caught out, I've been discredited, and I'm going to lash out and I'll attack the scientists and claim that they've got stuff wrong. Why is it easier to discredit arguments than it's, it's almost like an easier fight to discredit something than to support something and prove it right? I'm not sure why it's easier, but it is easier. And we've got some really nice evidence in experiments conducted by political scientists and psychologists. So there's one from the mid-90s that just showed people a bunch of arguments about real hot-button issues like the death penalty, gun control, abortion rights. And they asked people to evaluate 
the strengths and weaknesses of these different political arguments. And what the researchers found was people found it incredibly easy to produce negative arguments, reasons to disbelieve the political positions that they disagreed with. And I think that that's behind the tobacco strategy, the climate change strategy, now the COVID denial strategy, the same basic approach. Can I end by just asking, what is the one thing you want people to take away from your book? If you are curious about the world and you want to understand what you're being told, it's not that hard. Ask the right questions, be open-minded, not too open-minded, but be open-minded and ask whether what you're being told is making you smarter rather than as a weapon that might help you win some stupid argument, you're going to be smarter about the world. Tim Harford is the author of The Data Detective, which is out this week in the U.S., and you can also catch him on the Cautionary Tales podcast produced by our partners at Pushkin. Tim, thanks very much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the story of someone who's experienced this personally. Welcome back to Axios Today. Like Tim said, the pandemic has offered many real-time examples of this. It actually came up with my coworker who's been helping me out on the podcast this week, Erica Pandy. Yeah, Nyla, so I got really surprised because a lot of friends who I trust who are rational people who listen to scientists were texting me saying, hey, are you going to take the vaccine? Have you heard it might make you infertile? There are infertility concerns. And I was like, I don't think that's true. And they were like, well, have you really read about this? You know, I think there's a there there. Pregnant women have always been kind of a vulnerable part of the population, and they're never first up in these vaccine trials, right? I mean, the vaccine is now being tried on women who are pregnant or nursing, but they weren't in the first group. And it's a very standard thing for the companies to say, hey, here's this vaccine. We don't quite know the effects on pregnancy yet, but those who got pregnant during clinical trials were absolutely fine. It's like that quiet, really fast part at the end of drug commercials that no one pays attention to. But now people are latching on to that part and, you know, shouting it from the rooftops and using it to get people really afraid, including me. So being the journalist that you are, you did what I would do, right? Which is you started researching this. So I immediately went looking for information in reputable sources. I was like, I want data. I want to hear from scientists. And I found some great articles. One in particular was from two Yale scientists published in the New York Times, sort of debunking bit by bit with numbers, with actual scientific processes, telling me exactly what people are saying is going to happen and why that isn't going to happen. And that was very reassuring for me. So what do the facts say about what we know about this? So one big rumor is that there is some part of the vaccine that's going to attack placenta, and that can cause infertility. And these Yale scientists broke that down and said, here's why that didn't happen. They studied women who've already had the coronavirus and said it didn't happen in those women. And what do we know about the vaccine and pregnant women? It is surely more dangerous for pregnant women to get COVID because they're very much at risk for severe illness if they get COVID than to get immunized. And information is on the way. We are seeing vaccine trials for pregnant women going on right now. There were no effects when we did those same trials with animals. So more data and more information is coming. I think when we are talking about misinformation and we hear it, people can get a little jaded and think like, I know that. That's not going to happen to me. But this is exactly what Tim Harford was talking about. 
especially in a time of the pandemic when we're thinking about trusting statistics and data and the emotion that's involved with it. Right. I mean, the where I was at, like Tim said, is I was just looking for facts to trust. And if you seek them out, they're there. And that was really reassuring to me. Erica, thanks for sharing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Nyla. That does it for us this week. Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. We're produced by Carol Wu, Nuria Marquez-Martinez, and Naomi Shaven. Our mix engineer is Alex Sugiara. Our executive producer is Dan Bobkoff. Sarah Kehalani-Gu is our executive editor. And special thanks to Axios co-founder Mike Allen and to Erica Pandey for helping host this week. At Pushkin, our executive producers are Lital Malad and Jacob Weisberg. We love feedback. You can email us at podcasts at axios.com. Please also, if you like what you hear, leave us a review and star rating on your podcast app. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and have the best weekend.